So here's the here's the thing. <clears throat> People are asking, um, what about this one dollar becoming five? You know, is that a mathematical thing? Does that really happen? Actually, I can make a case for the fact that it's much more than that. Because in the history of investing, when you invest money, even in the good and bad times of the stock market, over a lifetime, it 7% is not, uh, I mean, compared to what you get at a bank right now, that's really high. But as far as investing in the stock market in that, over like a 40-year period, a 7% return is kind of, you know, natural. That's about what it would be. Uh, the way math works is, have you ever heard of the rule of 72? If you make 9%, it takes eight years to double your money. If you make 12%, it takes six years. If you make 6%, it takes 12. So whatever is divisible, is that a word? By 72... So roughly 7%, we could say, because 10 times 7 is 70, it's not 72, it's close, that every 10 years with a 7% return, your money doubles. So you take $1, and in 7 years, I mean in 10 years rather, it doubles. So at 7%, in 10 years, it becomes 2. But then when it doubles the next time, in the next 10 years, it becomes four. And then four doubles to make eight. Eight doubles to make 16. 16 doubles to make 32. However, some of those dollars that you don't use now aren't necessarily going to have, have the ability to wait for 40 years. Okay? Because, I mean, some of them it's going to be sooner than that. So that's not an exact science. You can't truly say one dollar will become 32 because not all of the dollars that you save, sometimes it's only a few weeks, a few months, a year, five years, ten years, or whatever. So when you factor all that together, smart people have said for the average person that it's at least $5 for every dollar. So that's how that was come up with. It wasn't just, you know, pie in the sky. If, if you invest money today that's not going to be touched for 40 years, that that's actually true. And I'm going to give you the... Uh, uh, an example of compound interest later that, that'll probably uh, blow you away. But <clears throat> when we stopped, we were talking about paying for things and paying for things in cash and, and saving up, novel idea, and actually buying things. And that idea came from my parents who weren't that good at investing or anything to do with money, but... They instilled in me this idea, they've never bought anything, including their house, anything but cash, and they weren't high in income earners. What my parents did was they did what nobody else would do so that then they could live like nobody else does, which I told you about this morning. And so when my dad came back from the Air Force, my grandparents, his parents, gave him across the road a piece of land that he could build a house on. And so my parents, who had been married and living on their own and all those wonderful things, moved in with my grandparents while they saved enough money on the go to first pour a foundation for the house. And then they continued to live there because they wouldn't borrow. They saved up enough money 
to put walls up on the house. And then they earned enough money to put a roof on that house. And before it was completely finished, they moved into that house with once heat was there. And they built rooms and everything around it after they moved in. Crazy, right? Not normal. But they never owed on a house. I can't even say that. And so um, you can do crazy things. Everything about life is about choices. And a good book that I'm going to give you that illustration from later that isn't a Christian book or whatever, but one of my mentors uh, is Darren Hardy. He's the editor of Success Magazine. And I'll probably end up reading this book 10 times before my life is over. It's called The Compound Effect. And the whole thing is about every choice that we make has compounding effects. You being here for these two hours instead of somewhere else has compounding effects. Every choice that we make, two hours of television versus two hours of something that could really add great value to our life. And, I, and again, I told the people at lunch, Don't get the wrong idea that I don't believe anyone should ever have any fun, that I'm just this mechanical person that, you know, believe me, if you follow me around, I have a blast. And I have lots of, you know, they were like, well, you must be burned out. All you do is work. You're getting the wrong idea. I'm trying to make a point because I did do extraordinary things. But, you know, it's only for short periods of time. And there was always time to to really have priorities with family and God, and spiritual things, and read your Bible, and all that kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, every choice that we make has compounding effects. And so this is Darren Hardy. And uh, again, because I'm financially free now, and you don't have to be in my business or to make the kind of money I now make to be financially free, I can buy the best mentors that money can buy. And, And so... I have spiritual mentors, but then I have business mentors like um, uh, Tony Robbins. Uh, His son actually is a financial advisor with the same organization that I do a lot of my business through. So he, this group of three to four hundred advisors, have literally hired him and Darren Hardy and Don Yeager and Bo Eason, and these are like life coach, uh, mentor, people that put into success and business and whatever course of life, and they mentor us on a regular basis. They talk to us in person. They meet with us. They um, uh, put out CDs and material that's just for us. Nobody else on earth gets it, just us, but we pay for that, (laughs) okay? And again, because I made certain choices, then now I have the choice to do that. So you think of the ropes that come around you and tie you up that now so often we're looking for freedom and it's the opposite. And now we're tied up because we can't do what we want to do because, you know, we got all the, we're bound. And so that's why I want you to learn financial freedom. And I taught you with the car, it's not just at periods of life where I'm making more money than a normal person. It was when I was making less money than a normal person, much less as a church planter with a family of five. 
And uh, just addressing some of the things that have come up, um, again, you're going to really think I'm here to take all the joy out of my life. Good thing you got me here once, uh, Pastor Mark, because I'll probably never be back. But when you when you choose when you choose to get married has financial connotations. I'm not saying that. <clears throat> yeah, we need some more amens. Even though he can't play basketball, at least he can amen, you know. Oh! Hey, my flight got canceled, so I'm here tonight. So where are we going? Oh, yeah, I'm going to buy some shoes. Last night I didn't show up because I didn't have any shoes. Today I'm here, not, well, tonight, not because I want to, but because I have to. So I'm getting some shoes we're going to play. But <clears throat> so people are like, well, we want to get married. We're going to, you know, we're just going to get married. I mean, there's choices here. I'm not saying you shouldn't get married, but when you should get married is just you, you're deciding that. You know, and sometimes God gets blamed for the fact that, you know, we, we blame it on him, and it was just us that wanted to get married. And he wasn't saying don't get married. He was just saying get some other things in order, and if this is the right person for life, they'll be the right person for life six months from now or two years from now. Is that right or no? And so that... Those things can become crippling instead of the very things that were supposed to give us freedom in life. And the same thing when you have babies. And I mean, there's just things about life that we try to compartmentalize that they're not either spiritual or financial decisions, and they really are. And so, again, not taking all of the joy and spontaneity and all that out of life and uh, I've made a lot of wrong and bad decisions, not like sometimes bad intentional and sometimes unintentional like we all do. Uh, but, you know, I'm here to say that there's there's very little. I, I, uh, who's the guy? He's not. Um, um, oh, shoot. Who is that uh, um, motivational speaker that has all kinds of quotes there? Um, yeah, Zig Ziglar. He said. Uh, Money is a lot like oxygen. You know, you need it to live. It, just like you need oxygen, you know, money. And it's, you can't get through life without oxygen. You need it to breathe. And money is, is with you as breathing. Like I said this morning, every decision that you make in some way has financial ramifications to it to either get you to or away from what really God has for your ultimate purpose. And you have to think, is this getting me closer or is this truly getting me further away when I think it's getting me closer because I want that, so I'm willing it to be. And so I'm going to spiritualize it and say, God told me that. And he gets blamed for <laughs> or credited with a lot of things that he didn't really you know, that was in our own mind, So, but that's a different topic. So how do we get out of this mess, um, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, debt and all, all that kind of stuff? Again, um, I want to stress before we move on, I'm not against borrowing for house and education. I'm just against it being the first resort. It should be the last resort. And some people are going to leave college that needed to get debt, but they're going to leave with 60000 in debt when it could have been forty. 
And that extra 20 multiply by 5, or if it's through a lifetime, wow, do that math, that'll drive you crazy. You won't even be able to sleep tonight. But I'm not making that up. That is actual. So you just, you know, we've got to, we, we got to learn that. Now, <clears throat> one more thing when it comes to this and debt and everything. And again, you, you know, there's a point where am I meddling? I don't know. Maybe I am. Again, I can hit and run. Then you guys are stuck with it. So I'm going to hit and run. I don't think any college student needs to have a credit card. I have a credit card. Um, did I get through college without one? Yep. Oh, yeah, Pete, but that was 33 years ago. You know, this is today. You don't need a credit card. I can guarantee you there are people today graduating from college this year in May that have gone through the last four years without a credit card. My son got lots of solicitations from credit cards when they came in the mail. I had, I had, <laughs> I had some, um, um, some rules and some agreements that it came with my kids going through college that um, they had to adhere to, and if they did all their part at the end of that year, I would pay off what wasn't left, and so they all left without any debt. But don't think that it was just handed to them and they got free money. And one of the things was they would never be able to even have a credit card on their body unless somehow it was a trip and I gave them mine for this period of time and only one thing could go on it or whatever. But they never had their own credit card. And this idea that, well, you know, this is what's going to build our credit. Who, who even said you have to build credit? What is that all about? I mean, Dave Ramsey talks about that. And if the only thing you're going to borrow on for the rest of your life is a house, if you have a good job, you can get a mortgage on a house. If you can, if you saved up 10 or 20 percent and you have a good job that's verified, you don't have to have any credit and they'll give you a mortgage on a house because it's for 30 years and they own the house if you don't pay for it. If you put it on a credit card, they got nothing. Like if you squander that, what are they going to do? Find a used briefcase or something and try to sell that and get the money back? There is nothing. But on a house, they do. So they'll give you that money. And I feel not everyone's going to do it, but you could. You just choose not to have only mortgage debt or at least get to that place. It's not like any of these things you can just necessarily just wipe out and start tomorrow, but get to that place. Then what do you need credit for? You're trying to get something that you don't want. That, that doesn't make sense to me. And I also don't love ATM cards. I never use an ATM. Somebody mentioned, you know, you got this wad of money in your pocket. You know, someone could steal that or something. It's, well, it's not a big wad anyway. But I pay for things with money other than bills that get paid from our house. I, I, don't, I don't know what my ATM um, pin number is. I have no idea. My wife uh, uses hers a little bit, and so she gets one for me, and I can't use it because I don't know the PIN number. I don't want to use it because I want to watch money leave my hands. And, again, don't take this wrong, and I, and, you know, and I think you know me by now that it's not meant that way, but I don't have to be as careful now if I don't want to, but I like to I, – I, I do work hard still. And I like to see the money leave my hand, and I like to feel the pain because there's so many other places I would rather that go. And when that's the case, 
it's just, you know, so again, I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm just saying that it doesn't feel like money when you just give them an ATM card. And so I choose to do that. So uh, the first thing you need to do, as I said on all these, is you, when it comes to this getting out of this craziness, you, you've got to find an accountability for, uh, partner. you got to cut up the cards that are – if you ever carry a balance on a card, you need to get rid of it because what it proves to me, if you've gone five years without any balance on any cards – then you can have one for the points until the very next time that you ever carry a balance. But you can never do that again if, I mean, if you if you carry a balance, that's the worst interest in the world to pay because you're paying something on something that is consumable that's already gone. That's terrible. A house, you know, you get to go in it again tomorrow. But that stuff, that's gone. A, a, a trip or a, a meal at a restaurant or anything like that. Now, I do use a credit card when I don't use cash because we get points and I get free airline tickets somewhere. And again, someone else is paying me instead of me paying them. And so it works for me, but Dave Ramsey would say, don't use a credit card. He probably does. His office right around the corner from mine, and I know a lot of people that work for him. He probably does have one, but he says, that, but he says it for the benefit of those who can't. And a credit card is never an emergency fund. It is the worst emergency fund on the planet. It is never an emergency. Oh, I got it there just for emergencies. It's amazing how many emergencies come up. That that meal that I wanted, that new sweatshirt, that, I, that, that was an emergency. I had to have that. No, you didn't. So first, cut them up. Second, create a budget and begin living by it. And some of this will be able to get to you if you don't catch it all. Third, begin a program to pay off what you have beginning some th this is other credit card, not your student loans, but beginning with a small balance uh, uh, first and because you want psychological wins and then, you know, get into the higher interest ones. Fourth, you get a second job. You find work. People are like, oh, I, I studied to be a pastor. I'm the pastor of a church. You know, what would it look like if I'm out delivering pizzas? Well, it would look like a guy going, driving down a car with, a, you know, a pizza sign on the side of his car that, that actually wants to pay his bills and, and provide for his family and instead of borrowing money he doesn't have and may never have. I mean, hello, w what is, what's that look like? When the pastor in the community goes in, you know, goes into default, that's a good witness. So um, forget about what it looks like. Have a yard sale. Sell stuff for pennies on the dollar. You say, yeah, but that doesn't make sense. I paid $40 for it. I got to pay, and I, you know, I got to sell it for four. Good. Watch it leave and think how hard it was to spend that $40, and maybe it'll never happen again. And number five, create an emergency fund. Okay, we got to get uh, through some of this stuff. So, <clears throat> all right, hang on. I'll be back. I don't know where my papers are that I need to go to next. Um Delayed gratification, be creative, da 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 da. Uh, okay, number five, we there? Create an emergency fund, okay? You do need to create an emergency fund. And again, this is kind of getting into, you need it now, but definitely later. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man, what does he do? Spends whatever he gets. So, you know, wasn't Pete that just said those terrible things and it's the Bible. Foolish man spends whatever he gets. Um, 
Richard Swanson has, or Swenson rather, has written a book. It's called Margin, Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and, ti um, and Time Resources to Overloaded Lives. And he talks about uh, margin in finances and the fact that most people's glass of water is so full that one extra drop means that it overflows. And that's how most people are living so close to the edge. 76% of Americans, I just read this recently, either in the USA Today or some other thing, I could find the resource, 76% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And I can almost guarantee that 60% of those, 60 of the 76%, if not higher, could do something about it, but they choose not to. Again, it's the decisions they've made, it's the choices, it's that book, the compound effect, Every choice that we make, every minute and every dollar, what did I tell you? That those, those are resources you can never get back. Hopefully those hours this morning were beneficial because we can't get them back if they were a waste. And the hours this afternoon the same and every dollar that leaves your hand. There's other choices for it to go to. And so uh, you need an emergency fund. This is, this is good stuff for later in life. But this, this little seminar today is about the rest of your life because people are paying 14 and 16% interest on emergency funds when if you build an emergency fund, a bank, and I know interest isn't very high right now, but there, you know it will be again, and there's been periods that it has been, they'll pay you interest on that emergency fund and you steady, steady, you paying it. So if you don't get anything else, begin to realize that you have a choice. Everyone in this room has a choice. Are you going to make money on your money or are you going to pay extra for it? Someone says, uh, you know, that something is normally $50 and I found it for 40 That was a good deal, so I didn't really need it right then, but I felt I should get it because it was a good deal. And they put it on a credit card and think they're going to pay it off. And when it's actually all paid off, they paid $60 for something that was 50 instead of the deal they thought was 40 how messed up is that? And I mean, that's happening all around you. Smart people all around Sussex in this area that are educators and legislators and CEOs of companies, and they're all doing it. And it's wacko. I mean, it, it, it makes no sense. This is, to me, uh, you know, I'm the reason that I can be pretty good at this is because this is not brain surgery. This is not what the MIT guy did. I mean, this is just common sense stuff. But normal is broke, and common sense is totally out the window. I mean, all you got to do is just take the opposite of what everyone else is doing, and you look like a genius. And now I'm getting asked to be on Fox and CNBC and all these places. Like, duh, you know, this is kindergarten stuff that my parents taught me, and they think I'm smart. Because the rest of the world is doing all this other crazy stuff, and you're doing something that the Bible told us from the very beginning. I mean, I have not said anything here today that I don't think that I could back up 100% by verses in the Bible, and quite not just one, but quite a few in most cases. This is just biblical. God gave us all this stuff. We just didn't get it because we're too spiritual. We're just going to read our Bible, and he's just going to take care of things. And, I mean, that's not the way he – the reason he gave us that big, thick book is because there's stuff in there we're supposed to get from it. He doesn't just, like – you know, give it to us. Uh, when you prepare a sermon, Pastor Mark, it takes hours. I mean, you don't just show up. Uh, some people think you do, 
And I understand that the Spirit takes over, and there's th- I'm all about that. But the best pastors in society don't just walk up to the platform and 15 seconds when they're walking from there to there, trust God to just give them what they're going to say that day. They don't. My pastor is Darren Whitehead, who was the teaching pastor uh, with Bill Hybels for the last five years at Willow Creek. He was asked by Bill Hybels two years ago at 37 years old, now he is, he was 35 then, that Bill wanted to groom him to be the teaching pastor. And at that point, he was, teaching, he was preaching to 25,000 people on a weekend. And Darren, after praying and fasting, there's a novel idea for 40 days of nothing to eat, and prayed, God felt like, or he felt like God was pointing him in another direction. He came to Nashville. Now three other pastors he's robbed away from Willow's church, and the four of those were at Willow Creek a year and a half ago. Now there are pastors in the church in Nashville that were helping them to plant, and I spend a lot of time with uh, Darren and Jake Smith, who, by the way, went to Wesley Biblical. for he's not They're not Wesleyan or anything, but went to Wesley to get his last degree, which I thought was kind of cool. And then a couple other guys, Brad, and then the, the youth pastor uh, is starting in about two weeks. We robbed them away. But Bill Hybels is all about that. He's just like, what do I need to do to help you guys go? Man, I believe in you. You're amazing. It's not robbing away. It's like, wow, God's expanding his church, and so these guys are down. And so we talked to Jaron and Darren and Jake, and they, they speak at our services each Sunday. I talk to them. Guess what they do? They, they prepare. They prepare all week for a very, very important, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes. So it's not unspiritual to prepare. And financial, even if you don't love it, as I told you this morning, it's not a choice. So how would you rate yourself on this last one, emergency fund? Most of you are still in school. So for you, even though I had a question at lunch from somebody who was already talking about an emergency fund because they get resources every couple of weeks and putting some of those things aside for things that they didn't expect makes sense. So if you do it with a little, you'll do it with much later. If you don't do it with a little now, you're not likely to do it with much later. So number six, excel at giving. Now we get to the good part. All that hard stuff is to get us to the good part. Excel at giving. First or Second Corinthians 8 and 7, see that you excel in the grace of giving. That wasn't my words. That's, that's, that's a word. See that you excel in the grace of giving. Man, I could tell you lots of verses. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, my, no, that's the wrong one. Uh, Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your crops. Uh, Luke 6, 38, given it will be given to you a good measure. You know that. 1 Timothy 6, 18, 19, be rich in good deeds, uh, deeds and generous and willing to share. You will lay up for yourselves treasure as a firm foundation. And some of you were, were bringing up to me in the questions, great questions in the breaks and things. And we're actually going to give some time at the end for just some questions. So it's going to be your time. So be thinking of that. But some were asking, you know, well, we're in Bible college and and we want to give. Well, I can't make everybody's decision for you. But they're like, well, you know, 
uh, we're, we're in college, we're borrowing money, should we be supporting some child for $30 a month and all that kind of stuff? I can't answer that for you, but what I can tell you is that my personal feeling is that um, if, if you're borrowing money, you've got to find ways to give that are consistent with the lifestyle that you now have. Does that make sense? If somebody's making fifty or a hundred thousand dollars a year and they're giving thirty dollars a month to support a child, where you know, don't not support your child because Pete came to chapel and he told us not to. Okay, D- don't go there with this. But what I am telling you is just ask yourself: Does it make sense that God would require you to give money that you don't even have any money? You're living on borrowed money now. So if you give money. You may say, well, I work, but if you work and make $2,000 and you owe $50,000, do you have equity and net worth or are you in the hole? You're in the hole. So you may say, yeah, uh, bless you. I've got this loan, but see, I'm giving this off the money that I make. So what you're saying is that you owe somebody that money, but they're not important enough, but that child over there, you know what I'm saying? I'm just, just think things through. There's ways to give that are appropriate for what you're able to do. Does a person who make $50,000 a year, you know, I mean, I guess they could, but do they give $45,000 a year away? Probably not. But someone who makes $200,000 a year, could they maybe give four, you know, I'm for all much more than the tithe. I'm just saying that, you got, remember that um, 85 inches? There's a lot of life. And you don't want to not be a giver. Sometimes a giver is walking up the hill with a shovel in your hand and finding a senior citizen and shoveling off their porch tomorrow. That you can give because you can find 30 minutes to do that, and that's reasonable. And yet it is a sacrifice because your other friends were over at the student center you know, playing ping pong or something. And so, yeah, you gave. That was a sacrifice. But you can't give money away you don't have. That you're borrowing from someone else to give to someone else. If I'm behind $50,000 and I'm giving money away, I mean, you just got to come to grips with that and you got to answer it for yourself. But what's funny is giving, people love to give. And when I was where you are, working hard, but also were some people that sacrificed and gave me, like Katie Brown, the $10 that came in that envelope, and I called it mailbox money, and go, man, I'll tell you what, that $10, we're not just going to have tomato soup this week. We can actually have some vegetables mixed in with a tomato because Katie gave us $10. Well, I couldn't wait to get to the place where I could finally give significantly back. So I understand where you're at. But as long as your mindset is there and it doesn't deviate from there, you're going to have lots of opportunity. It's a good long life. I've, I've been alive 33 years since those days. So I've had lots of opportunity to do that. And so um, one of those times, just to give you a, a cool thing, and again, not, not brag because it's not about, you know, the Bible is very clear about the widow's might and and what's a sacrifice to somebody else but 
talked a little bit about my mom and dad. My dad was going to retire in a few years, but he got sick and he had to quit his job. And when he did, they didn't have any other income coming in because it was Canada pension and that was, he wasn't old enough for that. And he got sick, uh, you know, too early to be able to have any of that. So any savings that they had, they had to use the last few years before he was actually eligible for old age pension, Canada pension to come in. They, they had to rob their future uh, retirement funds to get there. And so they did, and they had basically used it all. And so when they finally got on that, and mom and dad, uh, you know, they were living hand to mouth, and uh, I found opportunities to be able to help them along and everything, because this, I mean, I have a lot of sympathy. There's a, you can do all the things right, and bad things happen to good people. There's some that I've talked to since I've been here that I've counseled, that I, I've said, they don't deserve this. They, they didn't bring this on. I mean, there's lots of people that bring it on themselves. There's plenty of people. I have a lot of sympathy for people who do all the right things and bad things happen. It happened to my parents. And it was about eight years ago that my parents, mom would have to take dad, they grandma and Ann, 90 minutes on the ferry, an hour to St. John, go to the hospital, whatever. Um, and so... Their car was like the duck car. I mean, it was, it, was, it was bad. And they were afraid, and I was afraid, but my dad had to, every couple months, get to St. John for treatments. And so I'd had enough. So we come upon this cool idea, and I told my sisters, three sisters, about it, and they thought that it was cool, and so... <clears throat> What I did was eight years ago at Christmas time, when I came up between Christmas and New Year's, is that I think it was like the 27th of the month, I flew up from Nashville, flew into Bangor, drove to St. Stephen. Anyone know where, is it St. Stephen or St. Stephen's? I haven't, it's been too long since I've been here. Stephen, not no S. And so went to St. Stephen. I'd already had this arranged, talked on the phone. My other brother-in-law had found me somebody that was a car dealer in St. Stephen. And so we had all this arranged. I just showed up. My wife had to rent a car, and we went into the dealership in St. Stephen, and I bought uh, a car, and we both drove those cars. And, and so my other sisters that didn't live on Grandma Nan all wanted to be there too. And so we all went to Grandma Nan, and we got on that last boat. And it got in, and it was after dark already. So we come into the house, and, you know, it's been two or three months since I've seen my parents, and these cars drive into the driveway and everything. And we go in. We're standing in the kitchen, and, um, um, you know, everybody's hugging, and they're, oh, it's so great to see you and everything. And so we're just doing a little small talk. And about ten minutes in, I said, Dad, I said, uh, I brought you something. He said, oh, Pete, he says, you do way too much for me. He said, I, I don't need anything. I'm just glad you guys made it and that you, you guys are here. And I said, Dad, you do need something. And I said, I want you to know. And I reached in and I got keys out of my car and I walked over to him. Sorry, these uh, I haven't got keys for you. But <laughs> I put those keys into his hand. I said, Dad, I got you a new car. I'm telling you what, I could have died right then. I've never bought a car for myself that I ever cared the least bit about compared to I, I bought my dad a car. 
And when you get financially free, and I'm not talking about wealthy, just financially free, wow. I mean, it's amazing that you can just give money away and give things. And, I mean, you're gonna, there's a whole lifetime ahead of you. But you got to do the right thing now to get there. Or you're going to be robbed of the opportunity because I was smart with the little things when I had nothing. And then those same principles run true even when you are making decent money. I mean, we were sitting around at lunchtime and people were like, well, you know, I got this idea about, you know, I'd like to save some money up and here's how I'd like to give it. I mean, this is a giving mentality here, and it starts with the leaders and Dr. Smith and the Gorevets and everybody. That I mean, this is you're going to have opportunity, but there's a whole lifetime if you just do the little things that are sensible now. Be a giver, but get your house in order, and then there's a whole lifetime. And you you may never buy a car for your dad, and that's okay. There's lots of things I won't do that other people have done. I mean, you know, what's her name there? Oprah gave cars to everybody in the audience, and she doesn't even know those people. So no matter what you do, somebody's, you know, one-upped you. But I don't think she felt the thrill I did. And, But it's it's the little things, but you, you got to gra- graduate. I mean, you know, I, I got a little money, but I, I couldn't buy my car a plane, uh, my dad a plane. I mean... You know, you, you do things that are sensible. I could afford that that car because, by the way, it wasn't new. It was newer than all my cars. I think it was two years old at the time. But it was paid for when I drove it in, in his driveway. I mean, that would be good. And, and, oh, here's the payment booklet too, by the way. Nice guy. But, I mean, you do what's sensible. And, you know, I, I didn't buy a $80,000 car. He didn't need an $80,000 car, but he needed a good affordable. And so giving, and here's what I'm going to tell you right here. This might be the most important thing I tell you about giving, and you're not going to be able to write this down probably, but it's it. listen to this. Giving has nothing to do with how much money you make or have. In the late 1990s, Americans were 40, 400% richer after taxes than inflation and inflation than in the Great Depression, 1929, 20, 30, 31. Yet giving ranged per person, not just Christians, but people in America, ranged from 1.9% to 2.6% of their earnings. In 1933, the, the depth of the Great Depression, giving from average citizens in America was 3.2%. The more we make, the more we spend, not the more we give. You see, giving has nothing at all to do with how much money you make. If you don't give something while you make little, you're not going to give a lot more just because you have more. I'm telling you what, when you make $10,000 and give $1,000 away, it can seem easier than making a million dollars and writing out a check for a hundred thousand. Because I'm telling you, no matter where you go up the scale, you know, all of a sudden that's a big check. And a lot of times the people who make the most give the least. Now, one thing I'm proud 
of is that Warren Buffett and Bill Gates are kind of not normal. They're giving billions away. I think, thank God there's like sensibility somewhere out there on the planet that people who have a lot of money are actually giving an example that giving it away is good. And Warren Buffett lives in the same house that he lived in 30 years ago. While lots of other people who've moved into 50,000 square foot, you know, whatevers, and he's living in a house that normal people here in Sussex that are just ordinary wage earners could buy. And so, good. You know, they're not necessarily, I don't know their position Christian-wise. They're not necessarily Christian, but it, it's, it's a great example at least. And so, uh, Proverbs 22.9, a generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. 2 Corinthians 9.6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will get to reap generously. So excel at giving, but you're never going to excel at giving until you get the other things taken care of. So road sign number seven, oh, did you rate yourself um, on giving? And get your accountability partner. Invest in yourself is the next one. Invest in yourself. So you can't give it all away. You can't use it up or consume it up. You're going to need money in the future. Now, I have friends that were in the uh, financial business longer than I've been. And... They said that for a lot of their clients, they just needed to help their clients in investing to save enough money for five to seven years, and then they died. That's what life expectancy was. Did you know that when Social Security in the United States was first implemented, you were going to get it at age 65? Do you know what life expectancy was back then? 63. So you put all this money aside, and just about the time you're about to reach for it, you're gone, and it's gone. Poof. So that that big fund started building up because everyone died before they got it and the government got to keep all this money and it was wonderful and now they've spent it all and it's squandered and they don't have anything left. So the rest of us got to supply it. We got to do our own thing. So <clears throat> here's what I'm going to tell you. The biggest expenditure that you'll ever have is not college education, is not your home, is not every one of your homes combined and college education, the biggest life expenditure you'll ever have is retirement. Now, I know that's worlds away, but I'm giving you, I told you, I was going to give you everything you needed to know to get from here to the grave and be where you need to be financially. So you need to invest in, the, in yourself. So some of you are going to get off and you're going to get out of here. Now, you graduate, you get a job. Yes, you got to tackle that debt but you're also tackling a huge expenditure. Do you know what another name for retirement is? Permanent unemployment. Other than an employment unemployment check that might run out someday, how much money do you have coming in during unemployment? None. You're unemployed. Nobody's paying you. When you're retired, other than that little Social Security check or Social Insecurity or Canada Pension or whatever it might be or if it even is there, and if you're just basing your future on that, that's folly. But whatever that is, 
that's not going to be enough. So here's the thing. Lady in my office the other day, 98 years old. I have clients that have been retired longer than they work. Did you get that? Retired longer than they work. So here's, here's what's a perfect storm that's brewing. Pensions are going away. Do you know what a pension is? A pension is you work for a company like IBM or Coca-Cola or whatever for 30-some years, and as a bonus to you for your years of labor, they put aside so much money into, ye- into a fund so that when you quit working, they're actually going to still pay you. Now, they took that. They didn't pay you what you were probably really worth. They took that and put it aside, but they saved you from yourself from spending it all so you'd have money when you're not working. Well, I got bad news for you. Pensions are going away. When you guys even get close, someone will mention the word pension, and it will be like a Model T. What in the world was that? Because 20 years ago, there were 185,000 different pensions offered in the United States, 185,000. Today, it's less than 25,000. They're going away. Companies aren't doing it. They're saying, look after yourself, or we're going to give you a 401K. That's a great idea. That's like giving a two-year-old keys to a car and telling them to go drive it. They have no idea what to do. About one out of 100 people that I sit down with that show me their 401K, when I ask them about, you know, why they're making the choices that they're making, do you know what 99 out of 100 tell me? I have no idea. That's exactly right. I don't know. You got to pick something. I went like this. One, two, three, four. I picked this. They have no idea. So they're putting it in our hands, and they're giving them no training, except for Kingswood. Nobody else is. MIT's not. You guys are getting it. They're telling you, they're not giving you any advice on what to do with it, but they're giving you the keys to the car and saying, you drive your own retirement. We're probably not going to give you any more money, but we're going to take the pension away anyway because we're having a hard time. Well, so now you got to do your own. And so that's why the Bible says the wise man saves for the future. In the house of the wise are stores of food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. You say, yeah, well, you know, the Bible talks about giving, and I like to give, and, you know, what if I save this money? It just seems so selfish to put it aside for me. Well, then when you get to heaven, talk to the writer of Proverbs and tell him that he wrote selfish verses in there. He's the one that wrote it. In the house of the wise are stores of food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has or gives it all away. You already know I'm all about giving, but I'm all about we need to pay our way in retirement, and you got to put money aside. And so that's why I said this morning, when you get out there and work and you're in the early years, that's when you want to develop habits and and budgets and so on. And so if you say, okay, this much is coming in, 10% going to go to God, 10% going to go to myself, 5% is going to go to an emergency fund until that's taken care of and we got a good amount in there, then I get to live on the 75%. Now, I know there's college debt and so on, so guess what? For you, when you first come out, if you have college debt, that might not be able to be your budget right off. What it needs to be, though, is where you want to get as fast as you can get there. 
I mean, sometimes, and I'm really going to get in trouble here, but some, sometimes people say, I've got myself in a position where it's impossible to give all 10%. Now, I'm not telling you not to give all 10% of tithe. What I am telling you is that I, I believe that God would honor and still be okay if he knew that we wanted to get there as fast as we could and we started with three and very shortly it was six and then it was eight and then it was ten and we got there really quick. Some will disagree with that, and I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to say that anyway. And it's the same in, I want you to put 10% of your earnings away for retirement. But if you have to start with two, and then it goes to four, and then six, and then eight, and then ten, get there as fast as you can. Sometimes it's not just automatic. So you got to, you know, have a goal, have a plan, and get there. But when you're 25 years old, 30 years old, and you're fresh out of college, the last thing you're typically thinking about is when you're 70 years old and when you're retired. Okay, you got a hundred other things in front. Of, oh my gosh, we're going to have children. We got college education. We got a car to buy. We got houses. That'll be pushed off. So finally, when you get about 50 years old, the kids are out of the nest, and all those other things have been taken care of. Now it's time to put the pedal to the metal, and you got less time. But here's the thing. Time builds money more than rate of return. Where is it? Oh, it's over here. Time builds money more than rate of return. So the earlier you can start, even with small amounts, it matters. Here's that compound effect. If you were given a choice between taking $3 million in cash this very instant, or a single penny that doubles in value every day for 31 days, which would you choose? The $3 million or a penny that doubles every day for 31 days? If you've heard this before, you probably know, but here's how it goes. <clears throat> Let's say that you take the cold hard cash and your friend goes the penny route. On day five, your friend has 16 cents. You, however, have $3 million if you haven't spent it all. On day 10, your friend has $5.12, or the penny guy, versus the big bucks. How do you think your friend is feeling about their decision? You're spending your millions, enjoying the heck out of it, that's what he says, and loving your choice. After 20 days, with only 11 days left, Penny Lane has only $5,243, and you got three million smacks. You're starting to feel really good about yourself. So, the same small mathematical growth improvement each day continues to compound the penny, and at the end of 31 days, you have $10,737.00. $10,737,418.24. Three times the other guy who had the $3 million. In this example, we see that consistency over time is so important. It's impressive to see the magic of compound pennies. So to give something... To put a dollar, to put $10, to put $20, to put $50, the earlier you can do it, time builds money. That's what it does. 
Forget about the chasing the rate of return early on. Just get into a habit of doing something reasonable and normal. At lunch, we talked about a book that uh, I've read. It's called The Automatic Millionaire. When most people hear the title of that book, the word that jumps out at them is millionaire. I want to be a millionaire. But the key word of the book is automatic. The way you become a millionaire is you automatically put money aside because we're, even me, we're undisciplined by nature. If money goes from paycheck to investment for retirement and we never see it, we never think it's there to spend. It's that automatic that's the key. So as much as you can have certain things be automatic, that's great because it takes the uh, choice and it takes, you know, the tantalizing, uh, uh, you know, realization that, you know, you want to do something else with that money and automatic. Get it put over there and the more the merrier. Now, in our business now, we've started to work with high net worth people. But even now, I rarely see anyone who has what's called an insurmountable nest egg. When you are sitting down with retirement people today, not you, when I'm sitting down with retirement people today and it's a couple and they're fairly healthy and they're 65 years old, I'm not a reasonable financial advisor unless I'm preparing a plan of retirement, permanent unemployment, for one of them to be alive 30 years from now. That's not unreasonable, that one of them would be alive in 30 years. So you can't have the money leave, uh, uh, go away in 28 years. That'd be a bad last two years. You can't just have it last until the first person dies. You got to have it to the healthiest person because that's how long it has to continue. And so whatever amount that you think you might want to have for retirement, just think, don't get discouraged, but just realize that that's probably not enough and you need to do more. And that's a responsibility we have and it's very biblical and there's lots of verses that, that uh, bear it out. And, um, um, you know, you need, to, you need to invest in your future. Um, David Chilton, we got that? Uh, in his book called The Wealthy Barber, said the best time to plant an oak tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is now. So uh, for those of you who are young, you've got a great advantage on some of us that are in the room um, because you've got time, and you learn this now instead of when you're 50. And most people haven't learned it when they're 50. That This is a responsibility. It's biblical. I mean, you, you look at, you know, you look at the animals that God created. The, the squirrels put nuts away for the winter. I mean, it, it's like, you know, you always put aside for the future when you can't supply those for yourself. That's very biblical, and it's not, you know, people struggle with, yeah, but I'm putting that money, and now it's like several hundred thousands, and, and every time I turn around, they're bringing someone to church, and, and you know, there there's so many needy people out there. And... I understand that there's a lot of hard choices in life, and you want to be 
giving, but you can't just give all your stuff away so that then someone's got to give to you to meet your needs. So that's not being a good steward either. So you've got to invest in yourself, and the earlier the better, the earlier you learn that every little bit helps. And just like some were saying, but my debt is so big, it just seems like $100 on $80,000 isn't going to matter. Again, it's the compound effect. And how do you eat the elephant? One bite at a time. What a person at your age will need in retirement monies, I don't even want to dare guess how big that number might be because you would say, there's no way that I can get there, so I'm not even going to try. But just do something. You know, God has a way of multiplying. He has a way of, you know, I couldn't put money away for my kids' education during most of my working years. It just, you know, I had to trust God that some way they were going to get it through. I got through without help, but I wanted to help them if I could. And isn't it just like God that all of a sudden my business that's just in the infancy stages goes like that, and at the time that I could help them, magically it's there. So you can't underestimate God. You can't say that's never going to happen. He's a God of the impossible. So he makes impossible things happen. That's what makes this trip so fun because that just happens all over the place. So all you see, I was telling the people at lunch, you know, you got your flashlight out, and you've heard this before, but you see to the end of that beam. You don't see beyond, but God sees all that. So when you get there, now there's a new beam of light, and we have an amazing journey. So don't say, I'm going to give $100, and that's never going to make a difference. What if, I'm not saying he is, but I'm not saying he isn't. What if God is looking down from heaven and saying, what's your name? Daniel, that's my son's name. Daniel, if Daniel would just really begin to get this and be a, you know, just a faithful steward, and start doing what he thought was the impossible and putting $100 against the $80,000 loan, when he gets to a certain point, I got a surprise for Daniel. What if he did that? And all of a sudden, Daniel starts doing that, saying, oh, my gosh, I couldn't live 10 lifetimes and get this paid off. And some sweet lady from the church comes up and says, I was thinking of leaving this inheritance for my son, but he never calls me. And Daniel, I think I'm going to leave that to you to pay your college debt. You know what? Those things happen all the time. Seriously, things like that. Just make that stuff. I mean, that's the God that we serve. He's just like full of surprises all the time. And what if Daniel hadn't have been faithful in those little things? And so we're not supposed to be able to do the math and figure it out and sit there and say we're going to be 10 lifetimes. To All we have to do is be faithful today, right? And let God take care of what God can take care of. You think he's big enough? Think he's got enough money somehow to, to bring miracles into your life? I mean, $80,000, what's that mean to God? I mean, that's nothing. And so that's, that's what I think we need to do is just be faithful in those things. And so now I got off course so uh, road sign number eight because I want time for questions protect your assets I'm not going to spend much time on this because again I want to spend most of the time on the students the stuff for you and this is down the road stuff but 
protecting your assets. Now, this isn't totally out of the line for, for some of you because any married people in the room? Okay. How about students? Are you a student and married? Okay. Um, <clears throat> Proverbs 27 and 12 says, the prudent people see danger and they seek refuge. You know what? There's danger ahead in life. There's things that can happen. There's things like my sister Joanne, who came to this college, I don't know how many years ago. Anyone in the room, and, and I'm not talking out of turn, it wouldn't mind if you knew that, but how many in the room does anybody know Greg Daggett? Okay. <clears throat> He's my nephew, and Joanne is his mom. That's my sister. And so Joanne was married young and um, was living on Graham and Ann. And Arthur was her husband, and Arthur was a lobster fisherman and all kinds of things that he fished at, and they lived on Graham and Ann, and Joanne was going to have their first baby, and that first baby's name is Alex Daggett. Daggett. And so <clears throat> on Graham and Ann, they don't have very good facilities for having babies, so they encourage the women to go away a few weeks before and wait there in St. John with a relative or somebody until they have the baby. And so Joanne stayed with my sister Kathy, does anyone in the room know Mark Brewer? Melanie, who's married to Brent. They're both my nephew and niece, and Kathy is my sister, their mom. And so Kathy lived in St. John and Quist Pam Sis, and so Joanne went away and lived uh, with Kathy waiting, and Arthur was busy fishing, taking care of the family. It was the day for the baby to be born, and Joanne was taken into the hospital during the night, and they called Arthur on Graham and Ann, and he was out fishing at night. The kind of fishing he was doing right then, you do at night and you sleep during the day. They called him, and he said, okay, I'll just sail my boat over to Black's Harbor, and I have a truck that I've kept over there in case this happens, and I'll jump in my truck, and it was like 7.30 in the morning, and I'll go to the hospital in St. John, and Joanne will have Alex, or Joanne will have um, Greg, and everybody will be, everything will be great. It was great until he got 15 miles from the hospital, fell asleep at the wheel, hit a guardrail, went into the river, and was killed. So he was killed on the way to the hospital, and the doctors said later, based on what they learned about Arthur's death, that just about the time that uh, Greg was being born, his dad died, almost to the minute. Well, it just so happened that Arthur, being a young man, knew he had responsibilities for the family, three weeks before had met with an insurance agent and said, I need to get life insurance. I got responsibilities. I'm going to have a baby. And he bought $250,000 worth of life insurance, which was a lot. be like over a million today. $250,000 worth of life insurance back in the 80s or whenever that was. Um, and they hadn't even gotten confirmation that he was approved for the test that they do on you, a physical, to make sure that you can be approved for the life insurance. And they didn't have the policy back in their hand because it was only three weeks ago. But my sister got $250,000. We all know that doesn't bring a life back. But Arthur doesn't know, didn't know, how responsible he was being by protecting the people that when he took my sister on to marriage, he took on a responsibility. Now, she to him too, but in this case, it's both. And he was the primary breadwinner, and he needed life insurance. 
and he provided for his family. He protected Joanne. She was able to, once she got her wits about her after a few months, actually come here and take a year and just kind of figure out what she was going to do in life. She's gotten remarried and been married to Alex Daggett for 20-some years, and he essentially raised uh, Greg because Greg wouldn't have a clue who his dad was other than seeing pictures and hearing about him. And so, wow, he protected. If some of you are getting married, going to get married, are married as students and so on, when you get married, you take on a responsibility. And the book tells me that we need to protect those that we say that we love and take care of. And I would say that not just to the students, but the average people that come to me and we do some kind of a, an analysis on how much life insurance or other insurance that they need. Again, most people are way underinsured. Don't take on the responsibility if you can't meet the responsibility. I mean, that's what I say. Sounds hard, but I, that's the way I say it. Because, I mean, I, I believe that that's right. And I'm not trying, you know, I, as I said to the people yesterday, I don't have a dog in the hunt here because I, I don't, I'm not selling any of you life insurance, so I'm not saying that so I can make money. I don't want to make any money off that. I want, I want you to do what's right. That's only one of the ways that you protect those that are around you. There's different types of insurance. There's wills. There's trust. There's powers of attorney. If you get married today and you're married and have children, you need to have a will and a power of attorney and somebody that appoints a conservator for who's going to take care of the children if both of you are killed in a car accident or something. I mean, you know, this getting married thing, there's responsibilities to that. And protecting the people that you say you love, your, your family expands, guess what? Your responsibility expands with that. And now you're obligated to take care of those people. And so, again, that's just a big thing. And I go into that a lot more with people that are more, you know, but I, I'm telling you, you need to know it now. I just want to leave room for questions. So the next one is leave a legacy. Proverbs 13.22, you know what it says? A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now, I'm going to tell you right off that I started this today using Matthew 25. Man goes on a journey and entrusted whose stuff to the stewards? His. It was God's. Let me ask you a question. Through your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 80s, 90s, or 100 years old, at what point does it become yours? Huh? Never. So if you die, whose was it then? Does it now become yours? Good question, right? So <clears throat> if you truly follow that all the way through, it was all just borrowed stuff that he entrusted to you. Shouldn't you also look to him for guidance for where that goes when you're not here anymore? When, when like, shouldn't there be a plan B? Like, God, you've entrusted this stuff to me, and, you know, over 50 years it's built up, and, you know, there's all this clutter, and there's all this stuff, and there's houses and cars and kids and grandkids and college, and, oh, my gosh, there's, a, you know, this one person expanded into this, you know, there's a lot of stuff. Well, do we just leave it, like, to be chaos for, you know, ah, oh, that's somebody else's worry. No, we should take care of that. It's biblical. We take care of that. And so my job here today isn't telling you percentage-wise how to leave all of your 
assets when someday you leave this good world. But I am telling you that what is really sad is I get to go to churches and I hold a lot of conferences and like on a Saturday I'll do one of these four-hour things for a congregation and then on Sunday they let me come in and hit and run I call it where I preach a, a stewardship financial giving message and then I run and then the pastor has to you know put up with all the people that got mad because I did that so fun too I'll tell you what that's that's a lot of fun so I, I get to do that so Here's what happens. A lot of times they ask to meet with me one-on-one -on -one in the afternoon when I'm doing the sessions and so on. And when I talk to people about this and, you know, have you got a will? Well, um, no. Or if I do have a will, well, you know, how did you, you know, how have you got your will directed and, and all that if anything happens to both of you? Well, we got three kids, so we just put a third, a third, a third. Well, not my place to tell them that's wrong. Not my stuff. Whose stuff is it? God's. Not theirs either. God's. I'm not telling you don't leave any money for your children or whatever, but it, it's amazing. We work a whole lifetime, and the average person hasn't thought one hour about how they're going to leave their stuff when they die. And Jane uh, Bryant Quinn said this. She said, you own stuff, you will die, someone will get that stuff. Profound, huh? You own stuff, you will die, someone will get that stuff, and yet smart people, CEOs, attorneys, doctors come to me, and they got a will that they put together like 32 years ago that they can't even find on one piece of paper that's worthless. And I'm like, you work your fingers to the bone to get an estate, and you don't even spend any money to get a proper will that might cost you $100. And you haven't given any thought. Husband and wife has never sat down and said, honey, you know, not a wonderful thought, but if we're killed in a plane crash from Nashville to Bangor going up to speak to the people at Kingswood, what in the world would happen to our stuff? I, that's terrible that people give no thought to that. There's nothing in it that tells me that's being a good steward. Is it to you? I mean, nothing. I mean, that, that, that's not right. So when I meet with those people, not only have they, in most cases, don't even have an up-to-date will, that probably if you die without a will in the United States, it's called dying intestate. And it means dying without a will. And what it means that you've chosen is that you've chosen the state that you live in to decide how your stuff's going to go. That's being a good steward, isn't it? So I'm not going to do my responsibility. I'm going to let the state. They don't care about your stuff. They can give it to your, you know, third cousin that you couldn't stand since high school. They could give it all to them. It's their prerogative to give it to whoever they want. And guess what? I could contest that will and hold it up for years and cost hundreds of thousands of dollars for attorneys, and I wasn't even part of the family. You can't make this stuff up. It's true. In the United States, anybody can contest any will, and any will that's probated is public, and that's what happens to a will when somebody dies and their stuff's going to be divvied out. Um, and so anyway, I don't know how I got off on all that, but I did anyway. So you got to leave a legacy. So here's what I wanted to talk about. I, I'm big on, you know, the things that meant the most to you in life. Now, my kids mean a lot to me. My wife means a lot, but I'm not talking about when I die, you know, she's going to have the use of it until she dies and then so on. But 
eventually it's going to get to someone other than us. And there's ways that I have not not saying I should or shouldn't, not saying you need to do you just need to do something. But I've provided some way for my children, but they ain't getting it all. Because you know what's been dear to me? God's work and the kingdom. And so he entrusted it to me. I don't need it anymore. I put my kids or help, you know, they got college degrees and they're on their own, standing on their own. If they get a little something, and they'll probably get more than that, they're going to do okay. But I'm not about just making them fat and happy when they may not use it for all the great things. But the kingdom of God, there's so many good things for that to go to. So, again, it's just part of being responsible, leaving a legacy, something behind you that's lasting, that matters, that contributes. It was God. Shouldn't some of it be used? You know, all the people who wouldn't, if they were like 50 cents off tithing on a given Sunday, they probably think they're going to go to hell or something. Those people that were so rigid on that very thing about tithing all their life, and then they don't even tithe the inheritance that they're going to leave behind. Hello? I mean, again, I, I'm not here to tell you on that. There's no, there's no biblical thing that says this is how much you leave to each person. So that's not my job. It's just to get people thinking. And that's what I do when I go to churches. I get them thinking about, you know, Kingswood and missions and their church and all those kind of great things. So anyway, um, number 10, and we're going to wrap her up and then have questions and then fight the snowstorm back to our room. Um, have I still got a room here? Because my flight got canceled. Does anybody take me in? Okay. Number 10. Get help and accountability. I get help. You need to get help. You say, how do you get help? I study every day. After I get up in the morning and do other things that are essential and spiritual and whatever, man, I've already been on Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, um, CNBC, Fox Business, Barron's, every financial place. People are expecting me that day to have answers. I got to be prepared. I'm out, I don't have all the answers yet. The financial world changes so fast today, it's incredible. Every time you got your fingers on it, it slips away again. There's a new law. There's a new tax. There's a new something. I'm going to meet with people. They want me to know the answers or know where to find the answers. So I'm studying all the time, and I'm in this business. You need to get help and accountability. Today, what I've tried to do is lay on you a lot of stuff that you can then expand. And I think Ivan and Dr. Smith and others have talked about, you know, getting some groups together and having accountability and taking this away. Because, again, I, I kind of hit and run. I'm going to duck away and all those things that you didn't like. I don't have to listen to it. I'm just going to go home and see my family. But you guys are going to work this stuff out. Proverbs 20 and 18, Solomon says, make plans by seeking what? Advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. Let me tell you, finances for the rest of your life, it's like a war. It's a battle. Where does it go? There's $1 for every 100 places that, it, you know, would like to find a resting place for it. There's only $1 to go around. There's 100 places to go. It's like a war. You got to be tactical. 
You have to be strategic. You've got to get help. You've got to get accountability. It's okay. This idea that, uh, you know, uh, asking for help with this, like there's something wrong with that. We need to seek help. The, the modern world of money managing and investing and debt and interest rates and everything, it's increasingly complex and it's not going to get easier. But here's the other thing that's a beautiful thing for you. Because we live in a world of information, there are so many free, any, how many like that word? Free resources. Yeah. BeaconCapitalManagement.com. BeaconCM.com. Let's go to that last. Okay, here we go. Um, BeaconCM.com. You go to that site. Do like us on Facebook because that what that means is when we come out with calculators and ideas and ways to help with debt and all kinds of resources, if you're on Facebook, you get that sent to you and you see that because you have liked us on Facebook and there's just, it's free world of information that's available to you and you can either take advantage of it or ignore it. But if you go to beaconcm.com, more than that, if you go to one of the tabs called resources, if you're snowed in for the next 48 hours and have nothing else to do but go to that website and read everything that's on there, you will not exhaust it. Seriously. Everything I've touched on and a thousand things more, from every kind of insurance to paying off debt to calculators to there is not anything that I know of financially that you need to know about that's not on there. But if that's not enough, you can go to DaveRamsey.com and you can sign up for, you know, if you're on Twitter, he sends out these Twitter things every day and there's cutesy little things, but it's constantly bombarding your mind with good stuff to make good financial decisions. Joseph Sangal, I'm signed up with, with him and every Monday he has what's called a Monday Minute and he has this little video that's emailed to you and it, it takes like three minutes out of your life to... Put good financial common sense stuff that I've given you here today, but constantly, constantly reminding you all the time of all those things. And everything I've told you about so far is free. Money Enough for Life is the book. And let me remind you again, I didn't calculate up how much it's going to cost me. But anyway, you guys are worth it. If you write down all 10 points, and you mark from 1 till 10. You know, some of them don't apply that much right now, but just pick what you think and circle those. Give me a two-sentence action plan in what you are going to do to improve that number from 4 to 6 to 6 to 8 to 8 to 10, and you write down who your accountability partner is, email that to me, then we're going to send you, when the books are available, free of charge, that book. Uh well, that's, that's the other thing. I have two, and I'm going to give you my personal because I would rather, instead of my business email, get bombarded with 200. So here it is. Write it down, or we'll make it available, Shane. C-A-M, Cam, C-A-M. My real name's not really Pete. That uh, was just a name I used so I could hit and run and you would not never find me. It's really Cameron. Cam W, Ben, B-E-N. And the number one, camwben1 at comcast.net, not .com, .net. Camwben1, 
at Comcast.net. Cam, C-A-M, as in Mary, W-B-E-N, as in Nancy, because my real name is Cameron Wayne Benson. Shouldn't have told you that. Now you can find me, better known as Pete, Cameron W. Benson, CamWBen1 at Comcast.net. You email all those 10 points to me so I know that you know what all 10 points are and you've rated yourself. There it is up on the screen. Shane, he's the man. We need to that book, but it could be a couple of months. The book is written. Um, there'll be a lot of what I've talked about today and a lot more. And, but everything up there is free. And if anyone doesn't have a Bible, I bet we could find one of those for you too. Okay? You wouldn't have to pay for it. We'll find you one somewhere along the way here at this Bible college. We would, wouldn't we? So, <clears throat> all right. Um, I hurried some of those last points along because I wanted time for questions. If you think... Uh, Dr. Gorovet, President, that we need to leave here and go to our dorms right now, we will. If you think there's five minutes for questions, we'll take those. What do you think? And when... Hey, you, baby! I'll take it. So I won't take up too much and say too much, but I, uh, I'm, I'll be th I'm 35. I'll be 40 years old when I graduate. And um, my word doesn't mean nothing to you guys, so you can take it with a grain of salt if you want, but I wish I had this when I was 15 and moved out on my own because my life changed today by getting this. And, like, yesterday you spoke and uh, you, you brought in stuff and what God did in your life, and it was miraculous, right? And uh, I went to bed last night grieving the sinful world, knowing 64% of families are end in divorce and kids don't have the beautiful things that you've had, and you are a blessed man. But, um, and I also came in critical. I just like, oh, here we go. The American prosperity gospel pastor is here. But what was spoke today was 100% truth. Like, I have a repentant heart and knowing how much I've failed. And I'm going to be 40 years old before I even get to even start paying off my debt. So anyone that's younger than me, like, start now, because I'm starting today, and I just thank you so you changed You changed my life. Like, you, you really did. Bless you. Thank you, man. If, if I just came for that, it was worth it. I mean that. that that's awesome. Well, here's the thing. If, if it's short-term money, Likely to be used by you for something in the next five years. Don't worry about what it's going to make. Just get the money somewhere, okay? And, and don't put it at risk. If it's long-term money, then, you know, again, I don't do investing here in Canada. I don't know where you're from. Okay. Then, you know, I, I don't know. Find, find, talk to Ivan. Find someone who says these are good investments in Canada, but in the United States, I mean, depending on people's age, time horizon, there's so many different things. I mean, we use managed accounts, mutual funds, stocks, all kinds of different investments. But, again, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Everybody's situation is different. They obviously are more for long-term, and they're more for growth and more for down the road. But if it's short-term, don't, you know, it's unfortunate there's not much interest right now. But right now, you just need to make sure it's there when you need it in a year, two years, five years. Not worry about how much it's going to make later. Wor worry about that later money making more. Does that make sense? What else? Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, whatever you can get for the most, what can you get, Ivan, for short-term money? I mean, is it a GIC or is it a savings? What is it? Yeah, it's just one something like that. The main thing is it, it's not what you're making on the money right there. It's the fact that you're getting it there. And think about the fact that you now don't have to borrow. You can actually pay for it. Think of the interest you save, not the interest you made. That's the key right there. Short-term money needs to be safe. Well, I mean, if, if you're involved in a church or you have resources there and ask somebody, you know, is there any financial smart people here who invest and is there any adults that, you know, are that we could count on? I mean, utilize the resources that are there, even if there's not a financial advisor. Uh, Ivan's not a financial advisor right now as far as in the sense of full time, but he knows stuff. Dave, Pastor Mark, lots of people. So there's people that love you and will will help you, but, you know, there's also... Uh, if you feel confident enough, for $100, you can open the TD Ameritrade account on your own online or Vanguard.com, who have the lowest cost mutual funds out there. And for 100 bucks, you can start investing and choose your own. But if you don't feel qualified that, you know, they show you 2,000 mutual funds and you're like, how do I know what to pick? Then you get advice. That's what. It, that's why we say Seek help. Get advice. There's somebody that you know, a pastor, a friend, a, a, a church board member, or somebody that as a young person, you go to them, I bet they would be beating down the doors, pushing each other aside to be the person that gets to help you know where to invest that money. Yes. Yeah, if you're in the States, he does, and uh, that's, a, that's a great place to start. So there, there's people to help you. You don't have to worry about the specifics. Just the fact that you're doing it is great. Anything else? No, I mean, ideally what all the gurus out there would tell you is you need at least six months of expenses. So, like... What you make or what you spend are not necessarily expenses. You know what the difference is? Like things you have to pay, you got to have at least six months of expenses set aside. But the key is get something. Get a week. <laughs> get a month. Get two months, three months. You know, eventually it will build up. But six would be ideal, and that's probably not enough. But if everybody had that, we'd be out of a world of hurt. Yes, sir. Yeah, and that's why I say when, when you come out of college and that call that loan is kind of the number one big thing, you can't necessarily do the 10, 10, 5, 75 right then. You've got you've to adjust that to what, you know. But once that's gone, then like if you just owed on a mortgage, then that's coming from the 75. Like that's coming from your income. It doesn't rob from tithe or emergency fund or giving. But... Again, you're going to, and that's why getting the groups, I'll be with you in one second. When you get the groups and if there's after follow-up, 
uh, with the guys, they're good at helping you prioritize, okay, for the first five years you get out, this is kind of where you got to go. Okay, there's people there at this university are willing to help you. And, and then the next five years, and so, so you got to get there. So when, when you get to where some of those things, and it's not just a, a one or the other, sometimes it's phasing into that. And so there again, connecting with someone that's willing to help you. And, I mean, the beautiful thing about the Wesleyan Church and all of our districts is there's people that w- want you to succeed, that are praying for you every day, that are sacrificing, that are giving to you this university, that are making decisions. And if one of them, if one of you came to them and said, you know, for the first five or ten years out of my university, I, I really want to do the right thing. You know, Pete came up and taught us all this stuff, but I think I need more personal guidance week to week, day to day. There'd be people clamoring to help you. Well, again, when when case in point, um, I paid for my duck car for eight hundred dollars. Well, eight hundred dollars, stuff happens, okay, and things are going to break, and so I need money set aside for when that happens. Uh, you, you own a home in the and you know you you go to Craigslist or wherever you guys go and you buy a used washer and dryer and lay hands on it and pray that God gets, helped you to get a few months out of it. Well, that emergency fund is for those kind of things because things are going to happen. Uh, transmission goes in your car. Uh, you know, there's just life is full of them. So you need a cushion built in for all those unexpected things that that's not part of my budget, but it happened and I got to find the money for it. Yeah, well, invest for your, that's 10% to tithe, that's to God, 10% to yourself, invest for the future, 5% for emergency fund until you get that built up, and then maybe you can give it away to uh, Kingswood University for other students coming in, and then 75 to live on. What else? Debbie. Well, that's a good question. Um, a lot of times I tell people, if you've got it in different kinds of cards and things, and this has been a struggle for you, try to pay off a low amount on one of them just so that you can have a victory dance and cut that baby up and celebrate. And it's an emotional, I'm making progress, even though that wasn't the highest uh, interest rate. It was just the fact that you had four things that you owed on, and it's down to three already. So in your mind, it's like, I'm a quarter of the way through. Not really, but I don't know. Money is a psychological game. And so if that isn't a big deal to someone and they say, no, I just, I just you know, that's okay. I can, I'm not that kind of person that needs to be motivated that way. Then, then yeah, it's the uh, one with the highest interest. What else? Yes. Sorry. Well, I started a business and I never borrowed any money. I mean, I'm not saying that there's never a need to borrow money for a business, but um, a lot of times there are other ways. Um, 
I'm not saying don't ever build your credit. I'm just trying to think of how when I don't want to, like I have no idea what my credit would be, but I can get a mortgage on a house. Um, uh, I think Dave Ramsey's books would probably address that because he's even more adamant than me. What what he says, and he knows that 99% of the time the people that are listening to him have already got a house that is a mortgage, but he doesn't even want you to have debt for that. And he's re- he has chapters on this whole, um, he, he thinks it's just a, a big lie in the sky about uh, needing to, quote, build credit. Build credit means that, you know, I want to become eligible to be a lender, I mean a borrower, and someone else to, you know, have their thumbs on me. So I do realize, and I, I'm not making jest, of that is a good question. Um, I was blessed enough that somehow I found a way to start a business um, without borrowing money, but there are legitimate business opportunities that probably should be taken advantage of. Um, you, you can say that's an investment because, you know, it's going to do X, Y, Z, but again, that's hardly guaranteed because about 5% of businesses that are started five years from now are still in existence. So um, I don't have a good answer for that. You stumped me. Um, But see if Dave Ramsey has any good advice on that. Uh, Not then. I mean, as hard as that is for me to say. See, sometimes there's just, there's no right decision. It's just a hard decision. Is for me to say, pay the debt. I mean, the problem with that is people get into this trap of, you know, then pretty soon it's 10 years and 20 years and they still haven't got the debt paid off. So, well, I still haven't got anything set aside. I mean, you can do it for a short period of time. There's periods of of your life that you have to go against what should be the pattern for most of your life to do the extraordinary. And then it's about getting that debt paid off, and that is going to pay significantly more dividends at that stage than missing two years or even five years of putting money aside. Because the fact is, if the people that I want to start immediately out of college put money away for retirement, again, I'm going extremes to try to get to at least something. So if they started at 30 or 35, they're about 10 years ahead of everybody else even then. So that's not a bad thing. Get that debt taken care of. And, you know, this morning I brought that up, and I hope it was a good idea, but I'm not telling you all. Pete didn't come in here and tell everybody that they had to go immediately from college here and take those two years to do that. My my job is to come here and throw ideas out that maybe God, with a handful of people, or maybe many, I don't know, he will, you know, make that work for. But I didn't come here to tell you exactly when you leave school exactly what you need to do. That That's his place, and there's other guidance counselors here that love you and will help you with that. But I think 
I said it because I believe it, and I've said it for years among Christian circles and in the Wesleyan Church, and people have agreed with me, but nobody ever seems to do it. All the faculty, the staff, the people at headquarters, they think it's a great idea, but nobody ever does it because essentially they're not really encouraged to do that. Are you? All right. Awesome. Why should I be surprised that you guys are blazing the trail? That's awesome. That That's music to my ears. Great. All right. Um, I know some of you want to get going. I'm going to be packing up here. If you have any other questions and want to come up, God bless you, love you. Yes, Dave, Dave, Pastor, oh, sorry, Dr. Smith. I would, you think you want me to? Thank you. I, I, I've loved every minute of it, and um, to, to this guy's point, um, I don't want anyone, I'm not here today to, in any possible way, bring glory to myself because, you know, God bless me in some way. I hope everybody gets that. This is totally, I'm taking time away from business because my business is a means to this end. That's what it is. And it's just stuff. And it's, you know, and with that, God gives me opportunities to now do this and go to churches and talk to people. And I work all week long to get to places like this. I'm like, as much as I love what I do and I'm passionate about it, it's like, it's Wednesday and Friday's coming. I get to drive to East Tennessee, spend the night Saturday, give a conference all day long to those people, preach on Sunday at the church, come back, go to work on Monday again. But I live for that. So um, this is all about really wanting to pour into your guys' lives. And thank you for the privilege, and God bless, and let's go. I'd love to. Let's stand, let's stand, let's stand together. Yes, that's good. God, thank you so much for your many, many blessings. You do bless us in amazing ways. We can't even count the ways today that you bless us just over and over and over again. Thank you for the students of this university. Wow, some of the top, some of the brightest, some of the the most dedicated Christian servants out there. I'm just so excited about what we're going to see in the next five to ten years, what they're going to do with the foundation, with the training, with the learning, with the education that they got here. They just need to be released and get educated and go. I'm excited. Thank you for the staff, the faculty, the people that work tirelessly here that could be working out there at so many other jobs that might have more prestige and more money, but... They're into the kingdom of God and want to pour into students and make life change and decisions. Thank you for Pastor Gorvet and Sherry and just, wow, what great leaders at this college. Thank you for them. Bless them. Meet their every needs. Multiply what they have many times over to meet because they're making sacrifices. So then they can bless others and it just goes on and on. It's like a big circle. We want to earn all we can to save all we can so we can 
give all we can. So God, help us to do that. John Wesley, he's not the one we serve or follow. You are, Jesus. But thank you for the words that he gave us that we can remember as we leave here. If we could condense this whole thing into that, it would be earn all we can so we can save all we can so there's more left over so we can give to the kingdom. God bless every person here, every decision that they make. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.